My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects podcast. Welcome back to another episode of History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects. Now, just real quick before we start, today's episode deals with the toughest period for Mormons to get their minds around in their history. The details of this podcast were hard to sift through and organize as there isn't a lot of written evidence but a ton of speculation. But I think it turned out okay and I'll leave it up to you to judge. So here we go. In April of 1846, a long train of Mormon pioneer wagons were slowly crawling across the unsettled American plains. Joseph Smith had been killed. The dream of Nauvoo had slipped from their grasp, and fleeing Mormons were looking for a new home outside of America, where they could finally worship in peace. The days were full of arduous walking, pushing the cattle along, keeping an eye on the children, and fighting the elements. So many promises were broken for the Mormons. Independence was supposed to be Zion. Far West was supposed to be a new start, and Nauvoo, their most prized city, was gone. And now Joseph and Hiram Smith were gone too. Some of Joseph Smith's closest supporters were in this first wagon train. One of them was a man named William Clayton. William converted to the Mormon church in 1837 in England after hearing the preachings of Mormon apostles Heber C. Kimball and Orson Hyde. He was an educated man, and when William finally arrived in Nauvoo, he was immediately called to be a clerk and scribe to Joseph Smith. Now, after one particularly grueling day on the trail, William Clayton was notified that a letter had arrived. The letter bore the good news that his wife, who was still in Nauvoo, had delivered their first child. William Clayton was overwhelmed. The Mormons were more than just clinging to the faith. They would find a new home. They would finally build Zion. They'd have the freedoms they didn't in Illinois. And his wife was healthy and their baby boy was safe. William Clayton felt that they could do this. The next morning, he got up early, took out his journal, and felt moved to pen the words to a now-famous Mormon hymn. It's called, Come, Come, Ye Saints. The very next night, he'd begin to teach it to the other Mormons as they gathered around their fires. This hymn would serve as a rallying song for Mormons to press on, to lengthen your stride, because better days are coming. It's interesting that the man whose poetic prose inspired and continues to inspire millions of Mormons also scribed a document detailing the most controversial revelation in Mormon church history, a revelation that will begin Joseph Smith down the path to his murder. Today's object is section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the revelation on polygamy. So what is section 132, and how did it come about? If you listen to the first episodes of this podcast, you'll remember that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon but he then set in on a new translation of the Bible. This was an interesting time for the Restoration Prophet, as many of the revelations that he received were answers to questions he encountered while translating the Bible. Now, the records show that as early as 1831, Joseph Smith was baffled by contrasting messages in the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament tells the stories of how ancient prophets Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and others practiced polygamy. Yet when Joseph Smith read Matthew 22.30, it reads that Christ taught that in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are angels of God in heaven. 
It seemed to Joseph Smith that God commanded some ancient people to practice plural marriage, and he wanted to know why. God had answered all his questions so far, so he took it to the Lord, and Joseph Smith said he received a revelation. The details of which are found in section 132, in that same year commanding him to practice polygamy. Joseph won't put this revelation to paper for a number of years. He knew it was controversial. Now, according to early sources, Joseph Smith was unwilling to practice polygamy at all. He would record that on three separate occasions over the next eight years, angels would appear to him and command him to restore this practice. Now, let's pause the story here a bit just so I can complain. Again, like in some previous episodes, Joseph Smith didn't keep a regular journal at this time, and almost nobody wrote any of this down. At this point, we have a lot of assumptions, but no hard evidence. For example, Oliver Cowdery and others close to Joseph Smith in the Kirtland era in the mid-1830s would record that Joseph Smith approached the parents of Fanny Alger, a girl that worked in his home, about getting married to the prophet. We know this led to discord with Emma, though we don't have records of what was discussed. Fanny would eventually move away, marry someone else, and distance herself from the Mormon church, and Joseph Smith would finally put this revelation in his back pocket until the Nauvoo era. But we're in Nauvoo now, so how did this start up again? In the early 1840s, Joseph Smith said he had received a revelation wherein a married man and woman could be sealed, or connected in eternal marriage, through the priesthood. This was a very welcomed piece of doctrine to the Mormons, many of whom had lost spouses to malaria and other maladies. One of those men was Mormon Apostle Parley Pratt. Parley's wife had recently died, and though he'd remarried, he still felt a closeness to her. We don't know the specific date, but we know that in early 1840s, Joseph Smith was talking about marriage for eternity, and Parley P. Pratt spoke about how this wasn't available for his deceased wife. It was at this time that Joseph Smith told Parley that he could be sealed to his current wife and his deceased wife. Thus, the practice of polygamy started and was rolled up in the principles of eternal marriage. Now, Joseph Smith didn't make this sealing on polygamy public in any available records. As far as we know, this was revealed only to Parley P. Pratt. Now, what we're going to see here is the immediate development of polygamy with Joseph Smith and some of the leaders in the Mormon church. We don't know if Joseph kept this private because he was afraid of how to approach Emma about all of it, or maybe because he thought the Mormons weren't ready to accept this doctrine. Probably both reasons. We know that many early Mormons had some serious disagreements with the practice of polygamy. Brigham Young, who will go on to openly practice polygamy in Utah, would say that when this was explained to him by Joseph Smith, Brigham stared out the window and saw a hearst passing by with a recently deceased body. After hearing about polygamy, Brigham would note that he, quote, envied the corpse, end quote. So Joseph Smith officially began polygamy in Nauvoo with the first plural sealing taking place when Louisa Beeman was sealed to him in April of 1841. Now the practice started somewhat slow, but by the time Joseph Smith dies in 1844, he'll be sealed to over 30 women. At this time of his death, approximately 29 men and 50 women had entered into plural marriage. This practice will last for just over 40 years and won't be ended until the Mormons are settled in Utah in the 1890s. We'll discuss that in a future episode. Now, we don't know when exactly Emma Smith learned about polygamy. It isn't recorded. But we know that Emma was very unhappy about this relationship. Emma had left her family in New York to never see them again. Emma was carrying Joseph's kids from city to city, many times alone while Joseph was in jail or preaching in other states. 
but she did it because she had Joseph. Joseph was enough for her, and now she was asked to share Joseph Smith with others. Understandably, in my view, she didn't like the revelation. This would cause an incredible strain to come upon Joseph and Emma's relationship, and according to William Clayton's journal, Joseph and Emma were close to getting a divorce in the months of June and July of 1843. Joseph Smith had another problem. His closest ally through all of this restoration movement was his brother Hiram. Hiram didn't know about polygamy to this point and didn't believe it. When pressed about it in 1843, Hiram said that he needed to, quote, see Joseph about it, and if Joseph had a revelation on on the subject, he would believe it, end quote. The brothers met and discussed the revelation, which still hadn't been recorded on paper, and Hiram, again, believed Joseph. Hiram's heart was further softened when he learned that he could be sealed to his deceased wife, Jerusha, as well as his living wife, Mary. Mary and Hiram would be sealed and Mary would choose to stand in as proxy for Jerusha so that she could be sealed to Hiram as well. It seemed Mary also believed and made that choice. Now on April 12th, Hiram convinced Joseph that if he would have the revelation written down, he'd personally take it to Emma himself and convince her of its truth, and that she and Joseph Smith would finally have peace. Joseph told Hiram, you do not know Emma as well as I do, but he submitted. Joseph called William Clayton, Remember the author of the hymn, Come, Come, You Saints, and William wrote down the revelation as Joseph dictated it on the spot. Obviously, Joseph Smith doesn't know it, but this will be the last formal written revelation in the life of the Mormon prophet. So Hiram then left with the revelation. He read it to Emma while Joseph Smith remained with William Clayton. Hiram returned after a number of hours, and when Joseph Smith asked him how it went, Hiram replied that he'd never received a more severe talking to in his entire life. Emma wouldn't give on this. So the revelation was then copied by a number of church leaders, including Bishop Newell K. Whitney, and polygamy was now out in the open. So what happened with the original copy of Section 132 written by William Clayton? When Joseph Smith returned home, Emma was still incensed. The story goes that she took the original copy of the revelation and promptly threw it into the fire. Now the additional copies taken by church leaders would carry forth the revelation. Where can you see a copy of section 132? It's found in the Mormon Book of Scripture, the Doctrine and Covenants. It's canonized as section 132. It does introduce polygamy, but it also speaks quite a bit on eternal marriage. So how was this revelation received by the general church membership? Some reluctantly believed, others rejected it. Let's talk about a few people. In the last episode, we spoke about Sarah Kimball, one of the founders of the Relief Society and a real free thinker. In 1842, Joseph Smith approached Sarah Kimball. If you'll recall, Sarah's husband wasn't a Mormon. Joseph petitioned her to know her interest in an eternity-only sealing, meaning she'd be with the non-Mormon husband until death and what she'd be sealed to Joseph. Sarah Kimball flatly refused and said she rejected the revelation. Now, Sarah didn't leave the church, She just continued attending and participating in everything else, ignoring the revelation. If you'll remember John C. Bennett, we discussed him in episode 27. He was pivotal in creating the Nauvoo Charter. John C. Bennett would immediately take to this revelation and begin entering into a number of adulterous relationships, which he called spiritual wifery. When the church leadership discovered this, and that he was doing it without being sealed by the priesthood, John C. Bennett would be excommunicated. In his anger, John Bennett's testimony against Joseph Smith and the Mormons will start to raise some eyebrows in Illinois. 
many in political office will start wondering about the validity of the Nauvoo Charter. Not only was Joseph Smith and other Mormons using it to avoid extradition to Missouri from the Missouri-Mormon War, now Joseph Smith and the Mormons were practicing polygamy? Now, let's talk about William Law. William Law was Joseph Smith's second counselor and was very close to the Mormon prophet. William seems to not have had any idea about polygamy until Section 132 was made public. William recorded that he took home a copy of the Revelation and he thought about it deeply. In the end, he rejected it. William was already hovering on the edge of leaving the church as he disagreed with the Mormons' view of God. William then began to publicly criticize Joseph Smith. He now felt sure that Joseph was a fallen prophet. This would lead to many open arguments and eventually William's excommunication from the Mormon church. William won't take this well. He'll go on to start his own church in Nauvoo. He still believes the Book of Mormon and the Mormon church's truth claims. He just doesn't believe Joseph Smith. All of this will lead William Law to partner with some local non-Mormons in Nauvoo who will open their own printing press called the Nauvoo Expositor. Their aim was to help the locals of Nauvoo see Joseph Smith as a fraud. The Nauvoo Expositor will print only one edition of its paper, however. When it's printed, on June 7, 1844, Joseph Smith and the Mormons will read it and see in its pages that it's, in a way, calling upon all locals to rise up against Joseph Smith, the fallen prophet. Joseph Smith and the Nauvoo City Council will meet and declare this paper a public nuisance. Remember, Nauvoo was supposed to be a city founded by Mormons for Mormons. Now they have some cracks in the foundation. On June 10th, the town marshal will carry out the Nauvoo City Council's request, and he will smash the printing press. This act will eventually get Joseph Smith thrown into Carthage jail, where, waiting on his trial, he'll be murdered. Now, a few tough questions. After hearing about how this almost destroyed Joseph Smith's marriage, muddied his name, ostracized many of his followers, it's fair to ask the question, why did Joseph Smith reveal polygamy? The easy answer is that God told him to, but for many, even in the Mormon church, they want more context. As far as my research goes, I can see a couple of reasons. The first reason is in section 132, it was revealed to Joseph Smith that in order to be exalted, you have to be sealed in marriage through the priesthood. As many people had spouses that had died, how is this to be sorted out? Also at this time, there were more Mormon women than there were men, so the first answer to that is that it was all rolled up in the revelation of eternal marriage. The second answer is that Joseph Smith was a restorer prophet of all ancient practices. So he read about it anciently, and this was the dispensation of the fullness of time, so he restored it. The third reason that this may have been revealed is that this was just a trial for the Mormons. This certainly was a trial, though I feel like they could have yelled uncle far before this. If this was meant to be a trial, it lasted just over 40 years, the same amount of time the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. Now, the last possible reason for this revelation, and it's found in the Book of Mormon, is that God wanted to raise up a generation of believers. This certainly did happen. For example, Parley P. Pratt, after learning about this revelation, will go on to be married and sealed to 12 more women. Now, just side note, in 1857, the estranged husband of the twelfth wife will feel like the Mormon church destroyed his marriage. His wife will say that he was abusive and she didn't want to be with him anymore. Either way, the angry man will murder Parley P. Pratt over this. But regarding raising up a righteous generation of believers, Parley P. Pratt would have over 30 children. 
A genealogical study was done of his descendants in 2011, and it's estimated that more than 30,000 people came from Parley P. Pratt's plural marriages. Now, how is this represented today? If you remember the 2012 presidential elections, two Republicans with Utah ties ran against each other. One was the great-great-grandson of Parley P. Pratt. The other was the great-great-great-grandson of Parley P. Pratt. They were both related to Parley, but came through different wives. Mitt Romney would defeat John Huntsman Jr. in the Republican primary and narrowly lose to Barack Obama as president to the United States. So maybe that is the best reason for polygamy. Now, lastly, we should note that we don't have any evidence that Joseph Smith was intimate with any of his sealed wives. We do know that many of them were for eternity only and that some were viewed as a way of sealing families together. Up until a few years ago, it was believed that Joseph Smith had fathered children through one of his wives, but the evidence was speculative. The family members have been tested, and this has been proven false through DNA evidence. But whether Joseph Smith decided to practice it or not, Brigham Young and some following him will certainly practice it, as the Mormons will be pressed out of Nauvoo because of this and pushed into the Rocky Mountains. They will practice polygamy openly and have many, many children as they grow the Mormon church's ranks out in the desert. So that's it for today. I'm sorry if this episode was a bit heavier than most. We covered some difficult issues. As always, if you have questions or comments, please reach out to me directly at joehomc, historyofmormonchurch at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode or you think it might help somebody understand the Mormon practice of polygamy, please feel free to share it. And again, thank you for listening.